We are in this kind of last half of the chapter, and we started last week uh, with the message I called the Fruit of the Spirit, Part 1. So here's Part 2. I'd like to begin again at verse 16, because it just seems like we need to kind of get this context to really appreciate what we find in our text, which is in verse 22 and 23. But I'll begin to read there in verse 16. He says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these. And he names several things there in the next few verses. I'm going to jump down now to verse 22. He says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. Let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another, envying one another. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the privilege we have to gather here this morning and to uh, study your word together. And I just want to ask, Spirit of God, please, that you would... um, Lord, just make your word come alive to us, um, that we would really understand the depth of what we uh, read here and what it means and how it applies, and uh, Lord, that you would just please work your will and work your conviction, work your help into our hearts, and, and may we respond, Lord, with faith and with obedience and with praise and, Lord, with... Um, giving you glory and honor in every aspect of that word. Um, Father, help us is our prayer. We want to glorify, we want to honor, uh, we want to hear from you. We, we just desire that you would meet with us and bless us. And we'll praise you for all that you do in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, as we sort of... Uh, I, I keep coming back to, I know I'm reviewing a lot of times uh, the same point, but but we um, Paul basically explains what every true Christian experiences, and that is the struggle between the flesh and the spirit. And I think it's so important that we grasp that and understand that, because um, it, first of all, the lost probably know nothing. I, I don't think a lost person, well, I know they don't. They don't understand anything about that. In other words, there's not that struggle because spiritually, the Bible tells us they're dead. And I remember before I was saved, uh, sin had no, you know, I had no problem with it, right? Uh, it wasn't something I struggled against. It was something I just joyfully went along with. Um, but then when I got saved, all of a sudden, there was a new perspective about sin, about these things that we, we find here in those verses I skipped over, but we've read them several times, that are the works of the flesh. 
And if you haven't read that list, then you, you should probably do that. Because those are the things that our flesh naturally does because of its nature, which is fallen and sinful. And not until the Holy Spirit comes into the life through the, the new birth, by faith in Jesus Christ, we are regenerated, and we are quickened, and we are made alive spiritually, and we are dwelt by the Holy Spirit. Then there's this struggle that every believer, as again I say, experiences. And uh, if you don't understand what you're experiencing, then this will help you. Uh, to know why. Why is it that I still struggle with sin? Why do I, as he says in verse 17 at the end, that uh, they're contrary the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. What every Christian would do or wants to do is to obey God. Because now the Spirit of God is within us, putting in our heart a desire to be in obedience and fellowship with God. But we find, just like Paul found in Romans chapter 7, that the, you know, for the, to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, Paul said, I find not. For the good that I would do, I do not, but the evil which I would not, that I do. And that's, Paul is describing there that battle that we face, that struggle that we have. And the religious man has no answer for that. You know, the religious man probably, you know, he doesn't struggle in the same way. He may want to, and I'm talking about the merely religious that aren't born again, they may want to keep the tenets of their religion, but they often, you know, unless maybe they dumb down the religion to a point where you can, you know, manage it, um, but they, they keep it to a point in which, you know, to a degree to which they can satisfy their heart. Or they simply give up. And maybe they give up on the inside and pretend on the outside. But whatever they do, they don't have the ability or the answer to keep the laws of God. That's what we've talked about much in this book of Galatians. But for you and I, we have the answer. And the answer is in verse 16, walk in the Spirit. And again, at the end of the chapter, he says in verse 25, if we live in the Spirit, our, the Spirit of God is what gives us, He's the one who gives us life. He says, let us then also walk in the Spirit. And it's interesting, he closes the chapter with, let, don't be desirous of vain glory, provoking one another and envying one another, because again, those are the things that we do in the flesh. Whenever there's this envy and provoking and strife, uh, you can mark it down, we're not walking in the Spirit, we're acting in the flesh. So, we are to walk in the Spirit, and when we do that, the Spirit of God produces fruit in our life. I'm going to make you do a little bit of the heavy lifting today. I'm actually going to even try to have you find the book of Hosea, so you can start digging into the Old Testament there. Find the book of Hosea. It's really not that obscure. It's right after Daniel. Hosea chapter 14. the last chapter of the book. And if you would look at verse number 8. Hosea 14 and verse 8 says, Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? Question mark. 
I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree. From me is fruit found. Now, if you, I know that might take a minute to sort of, sort of uh, break that verse down, but Ephraim here is saying, what do I have to do with idols? What, what good are idols? Um, in other words, whenever we were idolatrous, worshiping other things, following other things, uh, there's no fruit in that. There was no good fruit in that. Uh, the, the idols did not make us fruitful. He says, I, I have heard him, who's him, the Lord, and I have observed. The Lord is uh, the one, he says, from me, from me, the Lord, is thy fruit found. And so, I just thought we, it was an interesting verse, probably one you haven't connected with this before, but there we see that uh, it, fruit is produced in us from the Lord. In other words, it's not something we can manufacture. It's not something we can just put on, but it's something the Holy Spirit produces within us. And it's important that we just sort of have that clear in our minds. Turn, turn now to Psalm chapter 1, and I'll try to just talk with you for a moment on the process of how the Lord does this in our life, uh, at least to some extent. Uh, we, could, we could preach a series and not exhaust the thought, but in Psalm chapter 1, and we may need to turn that air on, Miss Betsy, it's up to you guys, but it seems like after we get all the bodies in here for a while, it begins to heat up. Um, Psalm 1, you know well, he says in verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But I want you to pay careful attention to the next two verses. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he, what? Meditate. How often? Day and night. And then the result is, verse 3, he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. Now he tells you in the rest of the chapter that the ungodly are not so, they're not fruitful, they're like chaff. But just want you to think about those verses for a moment. We've said this a few times, but I'm saying it in a different way, just to kind of get the point deep into our minds is that this is the fruit of the Spirit is something that we cannot produce ourselves. It's produced by the Spirit of God. But we do have a role to play. And what the Lord, the Lord uses means to uh, bring this fruit about in our life. And one of the primary, I would probably say the primary way, is through His Word. It's through the Word of God. That's why he tells us here that we're to meditate. And, you know, we can read the Word, we can read the Bible, and not gain much from it. You know, when we just simply read it, blah, 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 we're done. You know, I checked my box, I close it, I'm done. But when we really think upon it, that's what it means to meditate, just consider it, mull it around in your mind a little bit. Let, let the, you know, when you, I know the, and I've used the illustration, it's used because the Word has the idea of, 
of uh, chewing the cud is basically kind of this idea. But but you got to think about that terminology. When you when you uh, get food in your mouth, you want to get the full nutrients out of it. You know, not just uh, spit it out quickly or whatever. I know you're not supposed to spit it out anyway. But but you know what I'm saying is you don't uh, to to mull it around. To, to, and that's what a cow has to do to get all of that out of the grass. I don't know what all's in grass, vitamins, whatever. But um, but they have to do that. And with us, it's, when it comes to the scriptures, we have to think about. And, and those of you and I who have been saved, you see, we have the Holy Spirit who now, this is His Word. Um, this book to me, before I was saved, was, was Greek. It was, you know, it was like, I could understand the words. It wasn't Greek, but, you know, I had it translated. But, but you know, it was, it was as though I, I don't know, it didn't have meaning to them. And then when I got saved and the author of the Word of God now indwells me, he teaches me. But, but he uses his Word. Let me, let me try to illustrate that for you. Go to, um, go to Matthew chapter 19, just for a moment. And while you're turning there, you can think about the disciples. As the disciples walked with Jesus, and they heard the teachings of the Lord... In those three years that they spent with Jesus, their lives were transformed. And much of it was because of what they heard the Lord say. And you remember that we saw last time when uh, Jesus was getting ready to go away, He said, I will not leave you comfortless, but I will give you the Holy Spirit, and He will guide you into all truth. And He'll speak of me and all these things. So, so just as the disciples had Jesus there in their presence teaching and you know, and so much of his teaching was foreign to them. It was it was um, <coughs> concepts that that were astonishing to them many times. But it, it but when he was there teaching it to them, and that it it changed their thinking, it transformed their minds, their hearts. I, I just wanted to kind of. There's so many examples I could give you, but I see two right away in this chapter, so uh, I'll bring you to this one. In Matthew chapter 19, the first part of the chapter, Jesus is teaching about uh, marriage. Look at verse 3. It says, The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him, and saying unto him, Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? And what was Jesus' answer? Verse 4, he said unto them, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female, and said, For this cause shall a man leave, his, leave father and mother, and shall cleave unto his wife, and the twain shall be one flesh. Wherefore, they are no more twain, or that word means two, but they are one, one flesh. What therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. And uh, one asked the question, well then, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? And Jesus says in verse 8, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, suffered you to put away your wives. But from the beginning it was not so. And I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery. And whosoever marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. Now, pay Careful attention to verse 10. What was the disciples' response to this? 
His disciples saith unto him, If this be the case of the man, uh, if the case of the man be so with his wife, it is not good to marry. <laughs> Isn't that an interesting conclusion that they come to? Well, if that's the case, then I don't know if we should get married. If we can't just divorce, you know, for any reason. Because really that was had become the mentality. Even the rabbis had, I, I've read different commentators say that, you know, the, the Jewish rabbis had come up with all kinds of excuses for divorce. I mean, even if they burnt your toast, out you go. You know, that kind of a thing. And that was the mentality that was in their day. It's not that different from our day. I mean, what the disciples say here, I think a lot of people in the world would say, well, you know, uh, we'll get married, and if, if it's fun for a while, that's great, and if not, well, we'll just, we'll just split up. I mean, doesn't a lot of people enter marriage with that in mind? I think a lot of people do. And the disciples here had the same, because that was their culture. And now they're here in Jesus, and they said, well, whoa, Wait a minute, if, if, that's what it, if that's what you're saying, and this was, this was transformative to them. This was information that they said, wait a minute, you know, it, it wasn't new information, he takes them all the way back to the beginning. But they had gotten so far away from the standard of God that now this, this seemed incredible for them to think. But you see what I'm saying? Their, their minds are being now brought back into a line, conforming not to the world, but transformed to the image that God had. Look, look again down later, um, without reading the whole story, uh, look at verse number, let me find it in my notes so I get the right one, verse 25. So, beginning probably about verse 16, is the story we commonly refer to as the rich young ruler. Remember how the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, you know, what must I do to enter, you know, in, uh, to have eternal life? And um, the Lord dealt with him, and, and he, you know, he said, uh, you know, keep the commandments. He said, well, I've done all that. And, and he said, well, okay, then sell your goods and give them to the poor and come follow me. And what he was doing there was he was dealing with this man's heart. He knew what his problems were. And he was covetous. When he said that, the, the Bible says he went away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Um, look at verse 22. But when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, Verily I say unto you that a rich man can hardly enter into the kingdom of heaven. And again I say unto you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Now verse 25. When his disciples heard this, they were exceedingly amazed, saying, Who then can be saved? Now here again, this might seem a little odd to you and I, to hear Jesus say, you know, it's, it's difficult for rich people to get saved. Matter of fact, it's so hard, it's almost as easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get saved. Now, you and I might hear that and go, well, yeah, we understand that. We, you know, rich people are usually snobs and they don't, you know, uh, whatever. And, you know, they don't see any need for the Lord and so on. But, but the disciples heard that and they said, whoa, what are you talking about? 
If the rich can't get saved, how can anybody get saved? Because you see, in their system, again, of their system of religion, uh, basically, uh, the more the more wealth you had, the better sacrifices you could bring, and and you know, and all those things. And to them, that was you know, in their system that they had grown up in, that that those people were looked upon as more capable and more righteous and all of that stuff. But they had to have their minds put right, transformed. And so they said, you know, if, if again, if, if it's that case, then maybe we shouldn't even get married. And, and you mean a rich man can't get to heaven? Well, then how can anybody get to heaven? And Jesus said, uh, what is impossible for man is possible with God. But, but what I'm trying to show you is just simply this principle that he took the, you know, the message of God and, and he, he, those who were so you know, kind of uh, entrenched in the way of thinking of man, he was transforming their thinking. And you could go on and on. Uh, you know, we know the stories of them, how they all you know, had debates about who's going to be greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus said, if you want to, you know, the greatest in the kingdom will be the servant of all. He who is the servant, he is the lowest, he who washes the feet of his brother, those are considered great in the kingdom. And to the disciples, again, that would have been so foreign to their, to their upbringing. But God used his word and he transformed their mind, he transformed their heart and their thinking. Same thing today, as you and I meditate on the word of God, the Holy Spirit shows us these things and we go, wow, that's not the way I was raised. That's not the way I used to think. That's not what I always uh, lived by, but now I see. And God changes our life. Do you, do you see that? That's why when we meditate on the Scripture day and night, we get transformed and then the, we'll be like that tree planted by the rivers of water. Because then the Holy Spirit begins to uh, fill our life and you know, we're walking in the, when we walk in the Scriptures, when we let the Word of God dwell in us richly, uh, the Spirit of God has much to work with. When we, when we uh, neglect the Bible, we spend most of our time watching TV and listening to things on the Internet and all this other stuff, uh, where we begin walking in the flesh rather than walking in the Spirit. Now, that's so basic. I know it's very basic, but... How many of us, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of us, we, we need to hear that again because we spend more time watching, listening, meditating on YouTube than we do on His Word. And then we wonder why we don't have the fruit of the Spirit in our life. So the Spirit of God produces fruit through our lives. In Proverbs 11.30, he says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that wins souls is wise. Sometimes, uh, you know, the, the fruit that we bring forth from a, from a godly life is to win others to Christ. Um, the chastening of the Lord in, in uh, Hebrews 12 says it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness. In Hebrews 13 verse 15 he says by him therefore let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually that is what is it the fruit of our lips giving thanks unto his name so there's there's different types of fruit in the sense of the things that come out of our life when we're walking in the spirit 
we're a witness to the lost. We are giving praise from our lips to God. We, in our giving, Paul said, uh, you know, when they gave to his ministry, that that was fruit to their account. So the Bible speaks about fruit um, in different things, but now we go back to our text, and here in Galatians, he speaks about this fruit of the Spirit that's inward, that's an attitude fruit, I call it. It's virtue that God produces in our life. And we saw last time that it was singular as opposed to the uh, works of the flesh, which are varied in many. And not all do all of them. You know, not everybody's a murderer. Not everybody's a drunkard. Not everybody is this. But, but we all have fruits or works from our flesh. But when it comes to the fruit of the Spirit, it is singular. In other words, Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, produces this multifaceted fruit. Kind of like a bouquet of you know different flowers, but yet it's all one. And what what we say by and just kind of that thought of what it, significance of that to me is that um, if I seem to have one but lack the other, then uh, maybe I don't have any of it. You know, because sometimes we're naturally more disposed to a particular one of these, but not so much the other. And but the, it's not something natural; it's something supernatural that the Spirit of God produces. So we looked at last time the first one, which is love. And out of love, I think, these other ones sort of develop. Love, to me, seems to be a primary one. Um, Prominent, the most prominent. By this shall all men know that you're my disciples, if you have love one for another. Um, Again, we, we spoke about that. I don't want to go over it all again, but... But there's so much the Bible has to say about it. First, let me read you this verse in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9. He says, But as touching brotherly love, ye need not that I write unto you. For ye yourselves are taught of God to love one another. Isn't that an interesting testimony? And it should be able to be said about every church. He said it about the Thessalonican church. I would hope he could say it about Castle Gar Baptist Church. That you don't need me to write unto you. You don't need me to preach to you about love because you're already doing it. You're taught by God to do it. And every believer is taught of God. That, 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 I thought about that in two aspects. Of course, the first being that in the context of our study, the Holy Spirit teaches our heart to love. He produces that love in us. But we're also taught of God by His example. All we've got to do is see how much God loved us, what Jesus did for us. And we see, that's why Jesus said, uh, that you, as I have loved you, so love ye one another. In other words, that it's not the world's kind of love that, hey, if you're nice to me, I'll be nice to you. Or, you know, if I find value in you because, you know, you're, you're good looking or you're, you, you make money or whatever it is, um, Jesus loved us. His love for us was not predicated on some kind of perceived value. He valued and loved every single one of us. So there's that love. Uh, Romans 5, 5 says, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. So we have no excuse not to love. And we need to be loving. But 
rather than trying to put it on, focus on walking in the Spirit, and it will it will be the result. So let's let's look at the second one, and really, I think I'm going to put the next two together here in a sense. So the fruit of the Spirit is love. Next one is joy, and the next aspect is peace. So joy, again, is not something we have to drum up. It's not something that we just put on. It's a product of the Spirit. Listen to um, 1 Thessalonians 1, verse 6. It says, And ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost. There's a joy that the Lord puts in our heart. There's a joy that God produces. In Isaiah 35, it says, The ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. What does that even mean? Everlasting joy upon their heads. I don't know, but it sounds like you're going to be joyful. (laughs) Everlasting and always. It says, They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. So again, this is different. It's a different love than the love of the world. It's a different joy than the world understands. I heard of a Christian man who was seriously ill in the hospital. He had brain cancer. And, um, but his countenance was such that the nurse, a nurse actually wrote on his chart as part of his medical record, this man is inappropriately joyful. (laughs) And I thought, we should all be inappropriately joyful. In other words, he had a serious illness, but he had the joy of the Lord. And this woman was like, that's just not right. There's no reason why he should have this kind of joy. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 8. You know this verse. He says, 1 Peter 1 8, Whom having not seen, ye love, and whom though now ye see him not, Yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Now that verse is quite, uh, I think it has a lot to teach us about joy. Because, you see, the, the, the way the world looks at it, what the world seeks is happiness. That's probably the primary pursuit of people. We just want to be happy. If we can live life and be happy, well, then we'll be satisfied. Now, there's more to it, and they're not, they don't find happiness. Because happiness, that word, and, and you've heard this before, but, but the word is, uh, it's, the word there in the beginning of it is hap. Things that happen. Happenstance. And their happiness is based on, it's predicated by what is happening. And it's fleeting. Because things happen all the time. And, thing, and you know, we, we come into things that happen. You know, we have happy happenstance happen, but then we have unhappy 
circumstances. And their joy or their happiness rides that wave. You know, it's, it's kind of like uh, nut and butter ice cream that I buy at Safeway. It's the best, best ice cream there is that you can buy in the, in the store. And so, uh, Lucerne's nut and butter. Just go get some. It's great stuff. Anyway, um, but it's got peanut butter in it, and it's just, oh man. But you see, you take a bite of it. Now, I have to limit myself, though, right? But you take a bite of that, and it, for a moment, you're, you're happy. I mean, this is good. But it melts, and it, it's gone. And then you always have to get more. And if you get too much, there's some unhappy circumstances that come about if you eat too much. But the world's happiness is sort of like that. Because they're constantly uh, find, you know, seeking after, find something that makes them happy, but it's, it's so temporary. They've got to seek it again, and after a while, uh, you know, I suppose, I haven't yet, but someday I'll probably switch to a different flavor because you just had too much nut and butter. Maybe not. I don't know. But, um, but you know, there's, but you can't just eat that. You've got to eat other things. My point is simply this, and you understand it, that the, you know, the world's seeking this, these events, these things, these pleasures to make them happy, but they are, they're so temporary and they're so fleeting and, and after a while you need more of this and more of that. And they just ride the wave up and down when you can't eat ice cream, it's not good. When you eat it, you know, it's just, it's, all, it's back and forth. That's not the joy of the Lord. And there's so many unhappy circumstances in the world that the strategy, I think, of people is simply block it from your mind. Let's, let's you know, I mean, how many during COVID you finally just stopped watching the news altogether? A lot of us did. We're like, I just don't want to hear about that anymore. I don't not I can't listen to the same thing and hear it every day. So I'm just going to turn the news off. And then you thought you could turn it back on after uh, COVID sort of dying down, but you 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 lasted a week and you said, well, I got to keep that news off again because there's just too many things to make you unhappy. So they want to block it from your mind. That's, that's, that's the mechanism a lot of us have, is let's just not think about it. I don't want to talk about that. I don't want to think about that. Let's go to our happy place, you know, think about something better. That's what the world does. But this kind of joy that God produces in our life, notice how he says it. He says, um, first of all, it's, it's unspeakable, meaning it's, 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 it's um inexpressible or even inexplicable. It can't be explained. There's no reason for it sometimes because all of the unhappy things going on in the world and yet, you know, like the man who had brain cancer, yet he can still be full of joy. Inappropriately joyful. Why? Because he had the joy that God gives us. That even though you don't see, verse 8, remember how he says, having not seen you don't see the Lord, but you, but you love Him. And whom have you not seen Him, you, yet you believe and rejoice. In other words, you don't have to have the circumstances right in front of you. You don't have to see it. You just have it, in, you know, it's instilled in you 
this joy that comes from uh, 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 faith, that comes from a reality of knowing God. It's not, you know, it's not on the, it's that abject reality, not the, you know, the feelings of emotion, the subjective emotion. And peace is the same thing. That's why I said I'll put these two together. It's not the same thing, but it's, it's the same in the sense that there's a peace that passes all understanding. Right? Again, there's a peace that you can't describe, you can't explain why, it's just other than to say, uh, well, it's because of Christ. I always remember Pastor Boyle telling the story, I heard him tell this, it has to be 25 years ago, but I've always remembered it. He was telling how he worked at McDonald's in college. And uh, he was happy, you know, running around McDonald's, giving out food and stuff. And some lady asked him. He gave her her order, and she said, Why are you so happy? <laughs> she apparently wasn't. And he said, it caught him off guard, of course, you know. And she, he said, Well, it's because I'm a Christian. Because I know the Lord. But that should be our... our uh, Testimony, always. We have a joy and a peace that the world cannot explain. Let me show you something in Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings chapter 6. Second Kings 6, look at verse 15. Hopefully you're somewhat familiar with the context so we don't read the whole story. But it says, um, this is talking about the prophet Elisha and his servant. When the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, a host compassed the city both with horses and chariots. So this is a, you know, a hostile army. And so his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? That question is basically, you know, he looks out and there's this whole army surrounding them. They've got horses and chariots and all that. And he wakes up the master, the, the, you know, the prophet, and he says, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? We're in big trouble. Look at verse 16. The prophet answered, he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Now, you, the ones that are smiling, I know you know this story. But you can think about, you know, here's this servant, he says to the prophet, what are we going to do, all that we're surrounded? And he said, don't worry, we got more on our side than they do. And I can imagine him going, um, one, two, uh, there's a whole bunch of them, what do you mean? What do you mean by that? And uh, verse 17, Elijah, Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountains were full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. These are, this is a different army. Uh, and when they came down to him, Elisha prayed, and the Lord smote him of blindness. But he saw there, see... Elisha, being the prophet, he could see what the servant couldn't see. And that was that the 
the armies of the angels were surrounding them and protecting them. When the world looks at us and they say, you're inappropriately joyful, you have a peace that I don't understand. Why is that? Well, because we see something with the eyes of faith that they don't see. We have something that they don't have. We have with us more than they have with them. Do you understand what I'm saying? Why can I be joyful in spite of the circumstances and you know, in spite of all uh, the unhappy things of the world? How can I have peace when everything seems to go against any kind of semblance of peace? Because, because of faith, I know something. I know with me there's something there protecting me, something there holding me. And I say something with someone. It's someone who is with me and loves me. And if Christ be for me, then who can be against me? You know, even death has no power over us. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? So, so we can have joy. We can have peace that is unspeakable and indescribable. And it's there regardless of whatever circumstances. Romans 14, 17 says this, For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So the kingdom of God is not nothing but ice cream and roller coasters and, you know, amusement parks and happy things, birthday cakes. Did we ever say yet it's Cameron's birthday today? You can, you can wish him a happy birthday later. Um, but it's the peace and the love and the joy that God gives our life. That's, that's what it's about. So let me close with this. The gospel is good tidings of great joy. When we have peace with God, we can have the peace of God. Because here's the thing. My greatest enemy and the most destructive force against my life is sin. Would you agree with that? And that's been defeated. Right? The, the, most, the thing that brings the most unhappiness to the world is sin. That's why there's all the difficulties and destructions and dangers and dentists and uh, all these other things that are make you unhappy. We don't have any dentists here, right? Um, but, you know, all those things are there because of sin. But I have been saved from sin. And I have peace with God. So, so if that's, if my biggest problem has been solved in Christ, then all the other problems are really not that big of a deal. And Christ will solve them too. Do you see what I'm saying? So I'm just saying that, yeah, when we are walking in the Spirit, He produces in us that confidence, that joy, that peace. And His Word gives us 
such a, a foundation of joy, a foundation of peace, that we can live in it regardless of what's going on around us. We'll have to stop at that point for now. And we'll pick it up next week. So let's pray.